What's up, fans? Welcome to Take Your Shot with me, Matias Perbel, episode number two. Hope everybody had a fantastic week. If you're in California, I hope you stayed cool because it was hot all weekend long, up in the high 100s, 115s, 113s. It was varying all around those types of temperatures, and it was hot. So if you have a pool, bless you, because I'm sure you enjoyed the hell out of that this weekend. The NBA has been on fire since the playoffs started, and so has the world of MMA. And today, we're going to have a very special guest, Scoop Jackson, a Sports Center's features writer, will join us. You guys have probably seen him on other platforms, on other 30 for 30s, doing interviews. He had a big hand in the Jordan documentary. A lot of fun with Scoop Jackson. We're going to have a ton of fun today. We're going to break down the NBA playoffs, and we're going to get his opinions and thoughts on how the playoffs are going so far and his predictions on what is to happen in the next coming weeks. Who's going to make it to the conference finals? Who's going to make it to the NBA finals? But also, who's been dropping the ball in the NBA playoffs so far and holding back their teams from taking that next step? Lots to go over with Scoop Jackson. But first thing first, in this round one, we're going to start with MMA. Because in episode one, we chatted about all these things that could happen at UFC Las Vegas number nine. And a lot of things did happen. Augusto Sakai, Dana White's Tuesday night contender uh, series alumni, jumped in the octagon again, undefeated in the, in the UFC in the heavyweight division, and took on Alistair, the demolition man, Overeem. Many thought that Augusto Sakai would use his power and use his uh, persistence around the octagon on Overeem, and his power would be too much. Not the case. Overeem gets another victory. I don't want to say a stunning victory, but at the same time, he gets another big-time win against a, a guy who's up and coming, lots of recognition behind his name. Uh, you know, when these guys get fed to these older guys like Alistair Overeem, it could go two ways. Either Overeem gets knocked out onto Pluto or Overeem wins and gives himself another chance to maybe get a title shot. And that's exactly what happened. Overeem is now a contender yet again in the heavyweight division, giving himself another chance to possibly go after that heavyweight title against Stipe Miocic or against whoever has the belt at that point. You know, that's where the question lies. Who will have the, the belt when Alistair Overeem wins another fight which possibly throws him into that title picture again. He's already there, but I still think he's one win away from being able to argue for a title shot, to say the least. Alistair's fought for a title before. He's been knocked out by Stipe Miocic, the reigning defending heavyweight champion of the world. So we all know that fight's probably not going to happen again, considering Alistair got knocked out. And who wants to see part two when a guy gets knocked out early in a championship fight? So he needs to, ha- he needs to do some more work. But we got to give Alistair some credit here. You know, from the crazy uppercut that he took from Francis Ngannou in his heavyweight fight where, you know, it was a meme around the world for months, possibly even for years, because it's still literally one of the nastiest heavyweight knockout shots I've ever seen in my life. God bless uh, Alistair Overeem for still being here with us today. Some guys could could probably be hit by Francis Ngannou like that. And you're probably going to possibly die. Like, I would prob- probably die if I was hit by an uppercut from Francis Ngannou. So that just goes to tell you how powerful that shot was and how big of a warrior Alistair Overeem actually is for getting back in the octagon. And even after that, the knockout that he had to go through 
in order, you know, for, by Blagoj, not by Blagoj Ivanov, excuse me, by uh, Jarzinho Rosenstruck, uh, a fight where Alistair is completely dominating the fight for four and a half rounds, and then Jarzinho needs to do everything and anything he possibly can to win that fight. And sure enough, he gets a massive overhand right that splits Alistair over Reem's lip into uh, into like an earthquake type of fracture on the earth. You know when there's like a massive 7.2 earthquake and we get to see the pictures online afterwards and we see so much destruction, but then we see the ground and we just see holes in the ground and it looks like somebody tore through the earth? Well, that's what Alistair Overeem's lip looked like after Jarzinho Rosenstruck gave it a big solid overhand right. And Alistair obviously lost the fight in the final minute or the final seconds of that fight, which did not look good for Alistair. If anything, a lot of people started thinking maybe it's time for Alistair Overeem to retire. You know, the guy is 47 and 18. That is a lot of professional fights. That's also a lot of damage. That's a lot of shots that normal human beings don't take in their everyday lifestyle. Well, Alistair Overeem has done it and he's at win number 47. And the guy's on fire, man. And I want to know who he's going to get next. Uh, who, do, who does he deserve next? What opponent would want to fight an Alistair Overeem right now? You know, after you see him fight Augusto Sakai, I'm not going to see a lot of young guys aiming to fight Alistair Overeem, considering he's very well-rounded. You know, if things aren't going well for him on the feet, he's going to take you to the ground and he's going to pound on you. But the thing that makes it even more dangerous it's the way that he uses the tactics in the fight, the way that he decides to go with the fight. He thinks he's going to eat a bunch of shots in the beginning is of round one, two, and even a little bit of three. You know, let Augusto Sakai punch himself out. And then once he starts to get tired, that's where Alistair Overeem takes control of the fight, brings you down, takes you into deep waters, into places that you've never been before, and then drowns you with his big, large frame on top of you, with those nasty elbows landing accurately. That's exactly what Alistair Overeem does, and that's how he's going to win. Alistair has found a different way of fighting in the, in the heavyweight division. A fighting style that's going to give him a longer period of survival in the heavyweight division. And that means not leaving himself open and choosing the moments in where you want to win the fight. And that's what makes Alistair scary. It's his calmness in the octagon when things seem to be going wrong for him. You know, in the first two rounds, a lot of people would have said Augusto Sakai is going to win this fight by knockout because it looks like Alistair Overeem doesn't want to fight against this big guy and he wants to cover along the fence because he doesn't want to get hit by one of those big shots. But on the other hand, some professional viewers, some people that aren't amateur MMA viewers are thinking Alistair's waiting for this guy to punch himself out. And then once he makes that move, then he's going to go after him. And that's exactly what happened. It's scary. It's scary to see who he's going to get next. I'm excited to see who he's going to get next. Uh, it was a fun card. And, and the list goes on for UFC Las Vegas number nine. Ovin St. Pru, OSP, the former volunteer, Tennessee volunteer football player, Got in the octagon again. He has a 25-14 and 14 record. He's definitely a staple in the heavyweight division. He's fought for a title before, or excuse me, in the light heavyweight division. He fought John Jones for the title years ago. 
did not go his way, but he took the fight on short notice. He gets Alonzo Menafield, this up-and-comer, another guy coming out of Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series, a guy who many thought would knock out Ovin St. Prue because he has some power behind those hands. But Alonzo just lost his first fight prior to the OSP fight, and he didn't look very good in that fight against Brandon Clark. You know, they brought the pressure towards Alonzo Menafield. Alonzo was taking, was uh, defending takedowns the entire fight, which almost made him look like he was getting tired and more tired and more tired as the fight went along. And in this, in this fight against Ovin St. Prue, I expected a better Alonzo Menafield, maybe a guy that went back to the drawing board and realized, okay, I can't be defending takedowns the whole time. I'm not best. I'm not this demolition man that everybody thought I was because of the few fights I had in the UFC. You know, this is what we're seeing from Alonzo Menafield now, a guy who's really uh, kind of hit a roadblock with his with his not with his striking per se, but with his overall balance in his MMA game, which is get some takedowns, maybe have some some defense instead of always going for the knockout. In this fight, we could see. Uh, Alonzo Menafield start to tire himself out, but not just tire himself out, but get frustrated with Ovin St. Prue. Ovin St. Prue was keeping his distance with his leg kicks, which were starting to take a toll on Alonzo Menafield. And I want to say accurate leg kicks because those kicks to the frame that, that Ovin St. Prue was hitting Alonzo Menafield were, those were not soft shots, man. We're talking about 220, 205-pound guys and probably – on fight day, weighing close to 220, 215. You know, these guys have massive legs and they have massive arms. They have a lot of power in every single shot that they take. That's why the light heavyweight division is just such a powerful division. Anybody could get knocked out at any point in that fight if you're not fully aware of what's going on. And sure enough, Alonzo Menafield gets too excited. He thinks that he hits OSP with a big shot and starts chasing OSP down. OSP hits him with a massive hook, a massive hook that just drops Alonzo Menafield straight to the canvas, and that's the fight. Alonzo had no idea where he was after OSP landed that counter shot, and that's just a veteran move by by Ovin St. Pruer. OSP is a veteran in this game, and he sees when a young shark is coming full head of steam and kind of gives up his defense, that gives this guy a perfect time to have a bigger bank account to get a fight of the night type knockout and to go on to his next fight, go up in the ladder in the light heavyweight division and make another move. OSP has been in the UFC for a while now. He's been on losing streaks. He's been on winning streaks. He knows how to rebound off of losses. And that's exactly what he did again. Now, who does OSP get, get next? Who does Alonzo Menafield get next? I don't know who Alonzo is going to get next, but he needs to go back to the drawing board because now he's close to going 0-3 after his last three fights, which is not something you want to be in coming off Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series. We see a lot of these guys get cut out of nowhere because Dana's looking for future champions. And if Menafield doesn't get back to the drawing board and kind of fix these mistakes, I don't think he's going to be in the UFC much longer because we're seeing a guy who's maybe not UFC ready. OSP is UFC ready. That's what, that's what a guy like OSP does. He goes back to the drawing board, he fixes his mistakes, and he gets killer knockouts against guys he's not supposed to knock out. Exciting stuff for OSP. But in my opinion, the fight of the night was Michel Pereira against Imadayev. What a fight that was. You know, Michel Pereira coming off another loss because of what happened with Diego Sanchez and that illegal knee. 
You know, the guy, after he got that killer knockout against Danny Roberts, Danny Hot Chocolate Roberts, uh, we're thinking, man, what? where is the ceiling for this crazy guy, Michelle Pereira, who does backflips, he starts breakdancing before the fight, he starts fighting with his hands behind his back. It, the guy's crazy, but he's a showman. With that said, Michelle Pereira is a showman. And that is exactly what the UFC needs. That is exactly what the world of MMA needs. A guy with some flash, a guy with some flair, a guy with, that you're going to watch no matter what, win or lose. And that's what Michelle Pereira has brought to the table. And against Zalim Emadayev, he showed that yet again, but he was flawless in there on Saturday afternoon. He looked the best he's ever looked, but at the same time, it made me frustrated watching Michelle Pereira sometimes because, yeah, he was winning that fight, and it was obvious. But then he's putting his hands behind his back, and he's kind of doing this like, come hit me. You're not going to hit me. I'm not even going to punch you with my closed fist. I'm going to slap you with an open hand and kiss it before I throw it. The guy is acting like a lunatic in there. There's no better way to put it. He's acting like a crazy guy in there, like a wild man, like a wild man. Michelle Pereira is a wild man. But man, did he look good on Saturday. And you know what? I cannot wait for his next fight. Circle Michelle Pereira any single time he fights. It's going to be one of the most entertaining fights you have ever seen in your life. I guarantee it. That's just what he does. Win or lose, that's what he does. I, I don't know if we could be seeing a future champion soon. I don't know how great Michelle Pereira can be. But if I am to guess, I say the ceiling is very high for him. And he does have the potential. He has the potential to be a welterweight champion of the world. But he needs to clean up his act and just be a little smarter. Because once he gets to the top, we don't know if some guy could knock him out crazy if he has his hands behind his back. Like, you don't want to be doing that to Jorge Masvidal. We've seen what Jorge Masvidal could do with a, with a split second of a guy not focused. He'll knock you out and he'll send you to Pluto. Just how he did to Darren Till. You know, the welterweight division is a scary division because there's a bunch of killers in there, and it's top-hungry heavy. When you look at the top 10 in the welterweight division, that's shark waters. Anybody that you fight, it's a shark. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a junkyard dog. You do not want to fight them. Colby Covington, Rafael Dos Anjos, Michael Chiesa, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. The, the list goes on, man. That division is fire right now. That's the division you, you want to be watching every single day. And Michelle Pereira left a stamp in that division. We could talk UFC all day, but we got to move to the NBA because in the next round, we're going to catch up with Scoop Jackson, a Sports Center's features writer. You guys could also probably catch him on a bunch of ESPN 30 for 30s. His most recent work was on the Jordan documentary. We saw a lot of clips of Scoop and a lot of things that he witnessed when Michael Jordan was killing it in Chicago during those championship days. Y'all stay tuned. We're going to be back with Scoop Jackson. Y'all take care. This is Take Your Shot with me, Matias Burbell. What's up, fans? Welcome back to Take Your Shot with me, Matias Burbell. Welcome back because right now we got Scoop Jackson. From, you know, you could catch him on ESPN, a uh, features writer. Also, you could catch him on those 30 for 30s, giving his opinion and those hot takes on that Michael Jordan documentary. The list goes on. Chicago's own Scoop Jackson. What's going on, Scoop? What's up, Matias? How you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. NBA playoffs about to get down just in a couple hours yet again. We got Milwaukee 
trying to save themselves again. But we got a lot of things to talk about when it comes to the playoffs. What have, what have been your thoughts so far in the NBA playoffs? Who do you think is going to win it all? Who's been dropping the ball and kind of underachieving? Well, I think um... – well, I don't know. That's a, that's a good question. I think it's kind of been unpredictable, which is kind of good. I'm trying not to fall into that trap of just looking at the entire bubble situation and thinking that all playoff series don't go this way. Um, but, you know, in the past, you've seen teams look differently from one game to the next. And I think you're seeing that play out a little bit so far through these through this early first and, you know, early part of the second round of the playoffs. Um I said in the beginning, though, at the beginning of the season, that I thought that the Clippers and the Celtics were going to end up being in the finals. Uh, and I'm sticking with that so far. I'm sticking with it so far. Even though there have been some things uh, that have happened with the Clippers, especially the last two games, that I ain't necessarily like, but I'm still sticking with them. Um, I just don't want things uh, that you don't like to turn into tendencies. And I'm seeing some things in the Clippers that are unnerving me to make me think that they could become tendencies, you know, with this point moving forward. I hope they don't, but, you know, this point moving forward. But I still got the Clippers and the Celtics in, uh, in the finals. And, um, and I don't want to say that Milwaukee has been the team that's underachieved or the one that's caught me by surprise or anything um, because of, you know, what we saw last year. You know, we saw a glimpse of this last year in, in the series against Toronto when it was tied and they were playing good basketball. And then all of a sudden they just turned into another team for the last two games of that series when it really mattered and they had home court advantage. So you take a team like Miami, who is built around Jimmy Butler's personality and mindset. And basically, you know, Jimmy Butler smells... He smells blood. Yeah. You know, he smells weakness more than anything. And if he, if he thinks a team is mentally not strong, you know, if they can't withstand his his will, if they can't, you know, withstand his shark tendencies to go after jugulars and veins and blood and stuff like that, he will, you know, he becomes a different animal because to me, to, to him, it's weakness. And weakness can be exposed, and it's his job to stay there. And, you know, that's what he's kind of done to Milwaukee. He's, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like the, I don't know if you follow boxing, but it's kind of like the Roy Jones situation. You know, Roy Jones was a great boxer until Antonio Tarver told him before the fight, you know, you, it's about to happen. Now, now you know, what's going to happen once you get hit? And that's kind of where Milwaukee is. They got hit, and they've shown in the past they couldn't recover. We saw it last year in the playoffs. They got hit by Toronto. Um, and that you know they weren't able to recover. So just because last year Milwaukee doesn't surprise me, it seems like everybody else is surprised by Milwaukee. No, I'm with you, man. I I'm with you. Milwaukee, I think last year when you lose Malcolm Brogdon, who I think was a big part of that offense, was a big yeah, part of that right. team, how do you replace him? What did you replace him with? If you're not getting better, you're only getting worse. And with Milwaukee, when I look at that roster, they have a nice roster. But at the same time, I don't see that being an Eastern Conference uh, representative when you don't upgrade Malcolm Brogdon and you're bringing in guys like Patrick Connaughton, Dante DiVincenzo, I'm not trying to talk smack on those guys, but those guys aren't Malcolm Brogdon. We saw what Malcolm Brogdon did for Indiana this year. Malcolm Brogdon right. made Indiana look very competitive with, with a Oladipo who really isn't 100%. And we saw it, and, and Sabonis not really being able to play for Indiana in the playoffs. 
the Pacers played Miami pretty tough without much depth. And right now yeah. we're looking at, at, at uh, the, the Milwaukee Bucks with a team that really doesn't have that much depth right now. If they're not making their shots, they're not going to compete against Miami. And we're seeing a Miami team that's hitting on all cylinders. And I like how you brought up Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler is bringing out these junkyard dogs in these young players. And when I, and I, when I, when I want to talk about these young players, I want to talk about difference makers for the Miami Heat. And I'm talking about Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson. We're talking mm-hmm. about two guys who are young players. And Duncan Robinson, you know, he's not supposed to be in the NBA right now. I think he's right. only playing big-time minutes because Eric Spolstra has given him the confidence to play these minutes. But also Jimmy Butler has probably been in Duncan Robinson's ear telling him, you're the next Larry Bird, bro. You know, yeah. you're the next Larry Bird. And Duncan believes it. That's the thing. Duncan believes it. And, and yeah. Duncan shooting the ball, he's not hesitating. If he sees an open jumper, he doesn't care. He's shooting the ball. And I think that's Jimmy Butler in his ear all season long saying, look, what do you do? You shoot the ball. If you're open, why don't you shoot the ball? You know, and we, yeah. don't, see, and we, or we don't see that with every team. We don't see that with Landry Shamet, for example. When Landry Shamet has an open three, he hesitates sometimes on the Clippers because maybe right. they're not giving him the same confidence. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. No, I think it is. And I think it comes from Jimmy Butler, but it comes from the whole squad. I mean, they've encouraged Duncan Robinson you know, to take those shots. And they've encouraged Tyra Hero to take those shots. You know, and we have to include, even though he hasn't been playing right now, but you have to include Kendrick Nunn in there, you know, in that, you know, what 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 they've been able to do to instill, you know, things they have lost in the past. And if you're going to be out on the floor, you're no longer a rookie, you're no longer a second-year player, you're no longer a former, you know, G League player. You are here, and you're here for a reason. So let's go. You know, you got the same responsibilities as everybody else does. And I think that has come from, Jimmy, but also come from other, you know, some of the other veterans. I'm pretty sure you, you Donis Haslam is doing the same thing by co-signing that. I'm yeah. sure, you know, Goran Drag is doing the same thing. So when they're telling Tyler Hero, you shoot better than anybody on this squad, you know, Jimmy is saying that, but also you have others that are reinforcing that. So he's hearing it all the time and he's not getting, there are no down consequences for him taking or missing those shots. So they're building and they found a way to build the, build the confidence. I think it may be stemming from Jimmy, but I think just as important is how it's being reinforced and how it's continually and continue to be reinforced throughout the season to get them to this point. And I'm pretty sure even in the off season, it was being reinforced. But another thing I think that is happening inside of this bubble, going back to Jimmy Butler is I would hate to be a team to hear and have to deal with Jimmy Butler running his mouth throughout a whole game without anybody interfering that, especially against another team. You know what I'm saying? He can probably, he's probably vocally taking the hearts out of the Milwaukee Bucks on every play. You know what I'm saying? The same way Patrick Beverly can get on your nerve, but Jimmy does it in a different way because Jimmy has an offensive skill set to back it up. You know, Patrick Beverly's not going to give you 40 points. You know, Jimmy Butler will give you the same verbalization that Patrick Beverly does but he'll give you 40 on the back end, and that can be demoralizing to a team where you don't have an answer. Um, and that's kind of what Jimmy Butler does best. And I think in this bubble, you can't escape that. You know, it, there, there's no home court. There's no fans. There's nothing to drown that out. So you have to hear Jimmy Butler 48 minutes. And I think that more than anything, just as we're talking about Jimmy Butler encouraging his teammates, the young ones, to take shots, to be, you know, greater than what you are right now, I think also on the other end, his mouth 
is, you know, is it works on both sides. He is basically breaking everybody down on that Milwaukee Bucks team, making them feel a lot smaller and lower than they actually are. No, most definitely. And, and I and you see that when he plays against the younger players on Milwaukee who are who aren't established right. NBA players yet. Can I, ask I don't want to say I don't want to say middle two. Yeah, of course you can. What is it? Why didn't he do this in Minnesota though? You know why he didn't do it in Minnesota Scoop? Because he I don't think that team was mentally tough enough to take that type of punishment from Jimmy Butler. We saw how Carl Anthony Towns and Wiggins reacted once Butler became that alpha dog, and they didn't react well to that. That's the, that's the exact opposite from what's happening right now in Miami. He has these young players that want to be the next Kobe Bryant. They want to be the okay. next Michael Jordan. They want to be the next Larry Bird. I don't think Carl Anthony Towns and Wiggins want to be that guy. They might say they want to be that guy, but when it comes to being that guy behind closed doors in the practice gym, they're not that guy. That's not who they are. And we don't know that because we don't cover the Minnesota Timberwolves. Only time will tell how, how who those guys actually are. Right, but here's my thing. Carl- is, is, isn't it a leader's job to get them to that level? My thing it, with Jimmy Butler is that he, to me, and I, I love Jimmy as a ball player, but he had the same responsibility. He had more responsibility probably in, in, in Minnesota. But he had the same situation where he's dealing with a bunch of young individuals. And he never even really gave them a chance or gave himself a chance to see if that's what they were about. If you think about it, think of it because Miami has won championships. So there's already a championship culture there. He got to Minnesota. They had not been in the playoffs in what, 15 years. He got, he got him there. And he, he got, got him right. And they got, wait, he got him there as an A seed against a one seed. And they did take a game over Houston. So my thing you know is that, okay, why don't, and, 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 you know, all you all you only had a two year deal there. Why don't you work with them? Because real leaders, at least, give an opportunity to build them up. I see what you mean, but I go back to that series against Houston and Minnesota in round one, and I remember that game one that Carl Anthony Towns had against Clint Capella. Right, and I think right there and then, Jimmy Butler found out Carl Anthony Towns is not the guy I'm going to need to take me to the ship. When Clint Capella takes you to school the way that he took Carl Anthony Towns to school in that series, that's something that you just can't forget. You know, Clint Capella isn't Carl Anthony Towns. Right, but here's the thing. Once again, this is the guy's first ever playoff situation. Sure. It's his first ever, and you're supposed to be the leader. You're supposed to, my thing is, okay, now I know what I have to do in the offseason. You know what I'm saying? You only got one more year on the deal. Real leaders coach these cats up. They get no, them. Right. They, they do what they can to get it ready. So I just wanted to throw that in there because we're talking about everything that Jimmy's Butler's doing. I don't want to give him a total pass because he had a situation like this and he backed out of it because I think it may have been too much work. You're right. We can't give him a pass. You, you can't give great players a pass with their past history all the time. But you know what? He's making up for it right now. Yeah, I he did, and, and he damn wait, let's be, let's, but he damn sure didn't do that in in, in, in Philadelphia either. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? I still blame that on Brett Brown and the and the coaching situation in Philadelphia. You know, I, I, that's a story for a different day, Scoop. Right, because no, Brett I got Brown's you. no longer in Philadelphia, and if I start talking about Brett Brown, man, the people in Philadelphia are gonna come. come they're gonna come over to the hills in Los Angeles to come find me over here right now. Scoop. <laughs> that, that ain't gonna happen. That ain't gonna happen. I got you. I got you. I got you. 
we got to get right. we got a game today. Does Milwaukee stay alive? Because I got to admit, once Giannis was not coming back for that second half against Miami, I did not give them a chance in hell to win that game against Miami until Milton decided to take that game over and win that game over his own shoulders. Does he do that again today? I don't think so. You know, and to me, he's been the enigma as far as the Bucks are concerned. And it's been his inconsistency. You know, let's go back to last year. He, to me, he's the one. I think he had six points in that game five, in that pivotal game five at home. <laughs> you know, you can't be a superstar, you know, when your entire season's on the line, you know, especially a, a, a co-superstar and not show up. You know, and he showed that. And, you know, that that's not a good look. And it's hard for me to think that um, Chris Middleton is going to be able to do what he did the other night in game four for three more games, you know? So, and, and, we say, and, and we've seen it in this playoff where he's not, where he just hasn't played up to what he's supposed to play up to, you know? And we, and we see, it's not just him. We've seen it. We've seen it with James Harden. You know, we, we've seen it in the early set. We've seen it, you know, with, with, with Paul George, you know, we see it with Chris Middleton. Those are the three individuals that I think, have a tendency to not show up in your game. So you're asking me, can Chris Middleton do it again tonight? Um, I, I don't think so. I really you don't think so. You wouldn't bet on that in Vegas, that's for sure. No, I wouldn't. Man, I wouldn't bet on this at the corner. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't bet on this on anything, you know, because he has a tendency to do this. And I just don't think, you know, to see him doing this in back-to-back games and overcome – Everything that Miami's gonna bring to him, especially without Giannis either being there or at 100, percent I just I just don't see it happening. I'd be We're surprised talking. if he does. We're talking to Scoop Jackson. You can follow him on Twitter at ib Scoop Jackson. You guys could catch him on 30 for 30s, giving out his outtakes, giving his opinions. Also, a Sports Center's features writer. The guy's been around the world of sports nearly his entire life. He is a basketball guru, that's for sure. We were talking some Clippers earlier in the show, and you still have Clippers and Celtics in the finals. I have Miami and the Clippers in the finals. But let me ask you, because you were you were a little worried about the Clippers, but you didn't really tell me exactly why. And I'm kind of curious, because sure, the Clippers have been inconsistent, to say the least, because they lost a the game against right. Denver and the way that they lost against Denver. And also last night. I don't want to yeah. give them a pass because last night Denver was hot until the final seven minutes yes. of the fourth quarter. And that's where this Clippers and Lou Williams and Paul George kind of took over that game with that 7-0 run and put the pressure all on Nikola Jokic to win that game. Mm. He was not able to do that. But at the same time, that game was winnable for Denver, which I think stands out more than anything. Yeah. Why Why do you think that the Clippers don't win an NBA championship this year? I'm, I'm just – just think, why, what's going on right now? What, what are they doing yeah. wrong with the fix? What's, what's bothering me, and I was saying up until the last four minutes of the game that the Clippers didn't deserve to win that game if they were going to win it. I was like, if they win this game, this is not a game. But they, what they did, especially Kawhi, at the back end of that, with the three assists that he made and the block shots that he, you know, block shots that he made, he hit two free throws. You know, I'm saying, okay, I, you know, clutch time, he came up big, you know, in other ways. My main concern with them happens to be Kawhi Leonard. Yeah. For some reason in this series, he doesn't look like himself. Um, I don't know what exactly it is. I was talking to my nephew yesterday, and it seems like he's almost forcing, trying to get Paul George engaged in games, and it's sacrificing his game to make it happen. 
Um, we always talk about Lou Williams being a walking bucket. In all honesty, man, Kawhi Leonard is a walking bucket. There's no yeah. sy- systematic, you know, defensive schemes you can run to stop this dude from getting to his kill spots and killing you. It hasn't been done. It hasn't been done over years, but he seems to get more efficient with it, especially on this team where he's not the only focal point of, you know, running the offense. You know, we saw him drag a team, and no disrespect to Toronto, but you could focus on Kawhi in Toronto last year and at least, you know, try to shut the team down by trying to stop him down. And nobody defensively was really able to do that last year. This year, he has too many offensive weapons to try to focus in on trying to stop him. So it's not like they're triple teaming or running schemes at him and traps and something like that. It just seems to me during this series, he's not moving with the same sense of urgency. His pacing is not the same. His, um, his, his, his willingness to get to his spots and take advantage of teams doesn't seem the same so far in this series. And he's passing up opportunities to score to make sure that Paul George, to me, seems like he's getting the same amount or more touches than he is and trying to make sure that Paul George stays in this groove as if in order for us to win this, I have to build Paul George back up to what he was, you know, um, what he wasn't in the previous series. You know what I'm saying? I have to make sure Paul is locked in and feels confident. It seems to be that's what's going on, and that bothers me because he's doing this at the expense of what he has the ability to do. That's my main yeah, concern. You're right. You're right on that end, but you're 100% right. It does look like Kawhi has been giving up some of his touches and some of his shots to give Paul George the ball and to get him going, especially in the first half. But I think that's because he understands that he's not going to beat the Lakers without Paul George playing Paul George basketball. Right. I think he's thinking ahead. He's not thinking about the Nuggets. <laughs> you know, he's, uh, but not, that, he's, but he's thinking see, about that, the Lakers. That could be the problem. You know, and I've never known Kawhi Leonard to ever be that way to think past the situation. He's yeah, always guess, series to series. You don't, you know, you don't, you don't get to where he's gotten and done what he's done in this league and become what he's become by thinking past. And if you listen to all his interviews, if you read anything about him, anything, he's never thinks that far ahead. He's always locked in in the moment. That's what makes him so unique, is that he doesn't do this. And I'd be very surprised if he started right now to do that. Because if he does that, and he's the mental leader of this team, not the emotional leader, because that belongs to Pat Bev, but if he's the mental leader of this team, then they could be setting themselves up for danger. Well, they may not, if, if they think it like this, then they might not see L.A. Yeah, you're right. They might not see L.A. What, are the, you didn't bring up the Lakers at all. Are the Lakers in trouble? Not against Houston, but do the, what do the Lakers need to do to get ready for the Clippers, or what do the Lakers need to do to fix themselves to be ready to go to the NBA championship? Um, I, I think they just need to mentally to stay mentally locked in and understand once again, understand that even though Houston is beatable, um, we can't wait on Houston to beat themselves, which they have had a history currently of doing. You know, Houston has a, a very good good track record of taking themselves out of series. And the Lakers can't afford to let that happen. They have to stay locked in, foot on the gas. Let's take care of business. Um, they kind of let off that gas in game one and, you know, gave Houston a, a victory that shouldn't have been theirs. You know, not saying that the Rockets should get swept. 
But if if you're gonna get if the Lakers are gonna lose to Houston, it needs to be because Houston beat them straight up, not because they decided not to show up. You know that. Look, Anthony Davis having what one point, LeBron no points in the fourth quarter of a playoff game, and they're not up by forty. You know what I'm saying? The fact that they were on the court playing minutes and didn't contribute is is a problem. So that that's more on the Lakers than anything else. I think they just can't afford to do that. Um, but to answer your question about the Lakers and moving forward, I think if they do play the Clippers, the problem is that the Lakers don't have an answer for Lou Williams defensively. And there he is, Scoop Jackson, joining Take Your Shot with me, Matias Brabell. I want to thank Scoop for joining the show today. You could find his work all over ESPN documentary series like the Michael Jordan documentary or the Orlando Magic documentary. Scoop is always giving his hot takes on the NBA, all around SportsCenter platforms, all around ESPN platforms. That's your guy. If you want to find more of his work, if you want to see what he has to say on the daily, go to his Twitter at IBScoopJackson, just how it's spelled out, IBScoopJackson. Scoop Jackson. He is the man. All right, guys. We'll catch you guys next week. We're going to have another awesome guest. We're going to chat some more MMA, and we're also going to break down some more NBA playoff action. This has been Take Your Shot with me, Matias Brabell. See you all next week.